then I've kind of over the years created a character, a female character. Her name is Ginger Greenfield. And she's kind of got a backstory to her, but she's always in the spaces and she's always interacting, not necessarily with the viewers, but with the space. And I think when you have that element of an actual human being within the work, I think people get really invested into the piece because of that idea of something could happen. You know, like it's not just going to sit still. It could move. It could change. It could talk. Welcome to the Studio Break Podcast. I'm your host, David Linaway. For today's 126th episode, Dana Sikola joins me from Mankato, Minnesota. We talk all about her work, which explores installation through print media, as well as performance, and those sometimes include her dog, Murphy, who you might hear from time to time. We also talk about the 410 Project, which is an experimental space that she runs and has a great staff of volunteers. Again, they do classes, they do exhibitions, they do workshops, and we talk all about it on the podcast, so stay tuned for that. We do want to remind new listeners, we are a podcast and blog site. You can go to studiobreak.com and check out a number of different artists. They have images of their work, as well as links to their websites and these lengthy interviews that talk all about their studio practice, what decisions they made when, and you can check them all out there. You can use the archive function to go month by month, check out all the great podcasts that you miss, or you could follow the link, go to the iTunes store, and subscribe there. So we hope that you do that. You can find us on Facebook. You can follow us on Twitter at Studio Break, and our Tumblr account is studio-break. So please say hello. We love hearing from folks. Other than that, here is this interview with Dana. Stay tuned. Welcome to Studio Break. I'm really happy to be joined uh, this evening with uh, Dana Sikola. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm excellent. You know, I'm I'm really excited that we finally managed to get this to <laughs> in, you know work out. And so you are joining me from Mankato, Minnesota. Is that correct? What's the weather there like tonight? Currently, Mankato is really not that bad. I'm pretty much a winter person by now. Um, I'm an avid biker, so I bike during the winter. So once the snow starts to hit, I actually get really excited for it. It's getting pretty cold out, and I guess if you weren't a big fan of the snow, um, you wouldn't really like the way it's looking outside. But, sure, sure. Um, I always appreciate it. A good change of scenery is, I think, good for the mindset, personally. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just changing up that routine, right? Mm-hmm. Completely. I want to, you know, just start off with a, a you know, kind of basic background. So where are you from? And, and we can kind of go from there. Um, I'm originally from Litchfield, Minnesota, uh, which is kind of western central part of the state. Um, it's a pretty small dairy farm, about population 6,000. So it's pretty small. Um, I grew up there, uh, went to high school, nothing too too crazy going on in Litchfield unless you're really invested in farming or 4-H, things like that. Um, so it's kind of one of those things I was like, I don't know, like I liked growing up there, but there really wasn't anything that like super striked my interest. Were you an avid biker um, during that time? I was not. I was in drama when I was younger, so I was always drawn to like 
the theatrical side of things, but I wasn't in band. I wasn't in choir. I wasn't in a whole lot of extra activities. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of one of those things I got done with school and I'd either go home or my mom eventually made me get a job. So I wasn't so much a bum, (laughs) but, um, yeah, there really wasn't a whole lot. I I had a lot of friends that were in other things. So I kind of just like tug along a lot of times, but, um, I did take a few art classes in high school, but with it being a smaller school, it was pretty limited for what they even offered uh, within the arts. Yeah, really, I don't know. It really wasn't anything too crazy. I was I was up for uh, prom queen, which was uh, pretty utterly amazing. But <laughs> and I had to find like a date like two days beforehand because I was like, uh, I'm not going to this. <laughs> then you always have your friends that are like, you have to. Oh sure, I mean, what an honor, right? Oh yeah, what an honor that I came to prom and I had like these big Liberty spikes in my hair and this dress I bought for twenty dollars at like J.C. Penney's, but I didn't, I didn't win. But well, I mean, it's 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 part of that experience, right? <laughs> well, so what like kind of led you towards um, um, looking at art? I'm, I'm sure, obviously, you went to college with a, a very, you know, 100 percent focused, clear vision <laughs> of everything that you yes. wanted to do in life, right? Just like every 18, 19 does, right? Um, well, I guess in high school, like I said, I took a few art classes uh, or industrial ed, like woodmaking classes. And those were the ones that I guess I really excelled in. I wasn't a super fan of high school. Uh, I had a few attendance issues and things like that. So when it came to uh, um, going to college, I re- it really wasn't something I was invested into. So I was like, well, no, I'm not going to go to school. I, I didn't like high school, all that kind of stuff. And um, my mom had convinced me, you know what, how about you try going to school for a semester? If you don't like it, that's fine. And I was like, okay, whatever. So I ended up attending MSU because at the time, uh, with my amazing skills in high school, that was one of the schools that actually let me in, mm-hmm. thank God. And, um, you know, I entered college and I just realized that, you know, when you're in high school, you don't realize this, but college is a million times different than high school. And I was able to be an ind- more of an individual, especially coming from a smaller town and even coming to Mankato, which isn't, you know, crazy huge. Um, I was able to focus on the things that I was more interested in. And when I first came to school here at MSU, I was actually a theater uh, major. I was interested in doing scene design. Mm-hmm. So thinking on bigger scales and I don't know, kind of things I was interested in high school. Um, But then I realized um, within the first year, I don't work as well with groups of people. (laughs) So then I was like, well, maybe I should focus on uh, an art degree. And then I entered into the art program and took my first handful of introductory classes and started really excelling in them because it was something that I wanted to invest my time in. So then, of course, I was doing better in the classes. And then I took my first printmaking class um, with my professor, Eric Watercutty. And ever since I took that first class, it was kind of one of those things that my my investment to my time I knew was going to be within the arts. Well, and I would think that kind of experience uh, doing shop classes and working with your hands and kind of problem solving with, you know, actual materials would be something that would be, I don't know, kind of an important distinction or... I think that's the reason why I had a hard time in high school, too. I'm a very visual learner. I learned with built, like, working with my hands versus someone, you know, standing in front of me and just, like, lecturing. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So I, I know that's why I gravitated towards those things and I just excelled in them better because my brain just works better in those situations. So definitely once I, I went into those classes where it was, it was more hands-on and just more conceptual and had a little bit more freedom and it wasn't so by the book, I was able to use my skill sets in a better way, I guess. And then did that get carried through to like the, the printmaking that you started studying? Was it something where you were kind of interested in, you know, kind of developing these different processes, these techniques of kind of, you know, being able to manipulate and kind of build an image? If I remember, the first printmaking class I took was a screen printing and relief cut class. Mm-hmm. Um, so you did the two, the first semester, I, I really wasn't super fond on it um, just because I don't know. It wasn't printmaking is a really hard medium and it's not something you can just like instantly become successful at. It takes a lot of trial and error because it's a super process orientated thing to do. So it kind of was discouraging at first because I had a lot of complications, but I think after going through all the different processes and finding out like what I excelled at, then I was able to kind of get my hard head out of it and just kind of focus on one thing. Cause there's so many different types of printmaking and so many different processes. It's kind of a lot to take on. So I think once you kind of just get the understanding of that's how it is, it gets a little bit easier. What kind of uh, things were you interested in, in making? I, I know that especially like when you're talking about introductory level classes and especially printmaking, gosh, I only took a handful, but I was an awful printmaker. It seems like, um, <laughs> it's either but, like you love it or hate it. It's like one of those things. Well, there's, but there's such a level of just kind of knowing how to do it and how to mm-hmm. manipulate it. So, you know, like the idea of like, um, you know, really pushing a, a specific line of thought or, you know, like trying to make a specific body of work might not, you know, maybe come around around to later. But I mean, were there things that you're interested in working with, subjects that you're interested in exploring in print? Well, I guess when I was in my undergrad or like the, the middle of it, I would say, um, it was kind of like you're so used to having teachers give you assignments and prompts. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, which is fairly easy because they're basically giving you the idea and you kind of make a smaller idea out of theirs. But um, I know I was in my senior year of my undergrad and I was just like really struggling, you know, because at that point in time in your degree, you're kind of responsible for like understanding what you mainly want to focus on. Um, And your teachers kind of stand back a little bit. And I was I was really struggling with the imagery that I wanted to focus on. And, um, Eric, my teacher at the time, he was like, well, you need to make prints of things you like, like things you enjoy and you're interested in. And at that time I was about 21, 22. And when I was 21, I had adopted my Boston Terrier Murphy, who is now eight years old. Um, and he became like my best buddy and we were known for hanging out all the time. So and I was like, well, if I should just make prints of what I like, I was like, well, I'll just start making prints of my dog, you know, so pretty simple. And then I just started making uh, screen prints and relief cuts of him basically. And then that kind of just spiraled into like this whole idea of branding and how printmaking those two things go together. So I think towards the end of my senior year, I was kind of known as the dog lady mm-hmm. <laughs> who was always making prints um, dealing with Murphy, even if they weren't just like images of him, they were him incorporated into other scenes 
And it almost kind of like he acted as more of like a logo. So I could have been making anything I feel at that time. And as long as I put Murphy in it, he was like the juxtaposition that basically tied all my work together. And I think people really responded to it was just like this image of a dog. And was it anything, too, where you were like kind of basing them, basing the prints off of specific, you know, interactions or, you know, instances of, I don't know, say mischief or I don't know. Yeah, I, I think so. Like there were, you know, people with pets or people with kids, they always have like, you know, like the things that. Like Murphy always had things that he would get into or that he was really interested in. So then I would take those characteristics of him and then put them into almost like storyboard form, you know, but like more into like a print. So a lot of my work had narrative to it. It was really whimsical. It was more like illustrative and cartoonish too. So none of my work at that time was, I thought, as to be seen as super serious. You know, it should kind of go along with like the playful effect of the dog himself. Were there any particular artists that you were, you know, invested in at the time or? I think that was always my downfall in my undergrad. I just, I didn't take the time to really research mm-hmm. artists. It's like, yeah, you're, you know, you, you had to take art history and certain things like that. But I think I got like really a, just obsessive with like shutting that off for a while of looking at other people. Cause we would have reviews and they'd be like, Oh, well, who are you looking at? And I'm just like, I don't know. I'm just making these prints of my dog and I just really enjoy them because I look at them and I think they're great. And my teachers are like, well, you know, the whole idea of like the academic setting is like doing research and knowing like your resources and your reference of other artists. And to me, it at that point in my life, that just wasn't even anything of importance, I guess. And it's like, of course, we're always looking at different artists. But I, at that time, I really wasn't referencing anyone at that time. Right. And and I think it's something interesting, too, where you don't really think about it in terms of you being in kind of the real world, being mm-hmm. connected to real artists. And so, mm-hmm. I mean, for me, I always kind of, I don't know, I almost kind of took so many cues, I guess, from the people around me. You know, I think that yep. that kind of interaction has been really important. So mm-hmm. did you wind up making, I guess, uh, a series of these prints then for kind of like a thesis show and... Yeah, we had a, a senior show like majority of art schools do. And, you know, at that point in time, I was already reaching out to other spaces outside of the college. So I was showing at the gallery, like I had a solo show at the 410. I was having another solo show at a space. So I was kind of working on like a larger scale of work. Um, and these images were all based around the dog or similar characters to the dog or, you know, the, or I mm-hmm. guess that would be like involved in the storyline with him. Um, So I was at that time making a larger body of work to kind of fit all the things I was kind of doing. Um, But then it got to the point where I was like, okay, I had graduated and I took a semester off and then I came back to grad school at Mankato State where I was TAing in printmaking, Mm -hmm. which is super great opportunity. And I think a lot of people, this happens to them when going from their undergrad to grad school, they kind of start off with doing similar work as they, they did in their undergrad. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, oh man, I'm in grad school. I can't be just making prints of my dog or my dog's head on like a fish's body. Like that just isn't cute anymore. The older you get. Mm-hmm. And um, I was kind of like really struggling and 
Um, I was making these prints of him and I just wasn't really enjoying them as much as I did anymore. So I was like, okay, I really need to like push myself further with what I'm doing. Like you can use an image over again. It just depends on how you're using it. So I had this, this print of Murphy and, and it was his head and it was on a fish's body and I was doing, I don't know, this really ridiculous print. And I ended up just like hating the whole thing. I'm like, this is just ridiculous. But the only part I liked about it was the picture of Murphy, of course. Mm-hmm. And I had, you know, you make an addition of 10, 12 prints. And I ended up just sitting there and cutting out all of the heads of him from every print. And then I had this collection of 12, and I kind of just started um, clustering them on the table in front of me. And I was like, "With Boston, he's a Boston Terrier, so he's black and white. And so when printing, he was always printed in a really graphic nature. So just very stark black and white flat. So kind of putting these same images over top each other and going different directions, they started to create a different form versus just the image itself. And then that really started getting me interested in the idea of like, well, what if I printed like a hundred of these heads and just sat down and cut them all out and then like basically put them together within a wall or on a wall. And then I just, I think in the next like two days, I think I had a critique in a day or two and I ended up destroying those prints by cutting them all out. So I was just like, I just started printing all those heads from the screen I already had. um, And I was screen printing them. And then I just sat there and I just cut them out one by one and then ended up, um, juxtaposing them on the wall in a certain form that almost looked like a school of fish mm-hmm. kind of or a flock of birds and then I stood back and then it's it was really interesting to me then how one image just repeated and altered slightly by the direction of it creates a bigger form that kind of you just lose the idea of what the image is and I think that's that's how I really got stuck into the idea of using repetition in an excessive way in my current work Mm -hmm. um, and how one single image ah, can uh, make an impact to a room. So that's kind of where I started. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, it's interesting too, because, you know, you think about like a making a silk screen or, you know, kind of like a graphic image or something as, as being one thing, but then maybe to kind of, you know, cut them out and, you know, put them in in a larger kind of like physical context. I mean, yeah. it's really interesting, but it also kind of makes me wonder too. Then, I mean, is that something that led you off towards kind of investigating more of the the relationships um, in your life, the way that you kind of talk about printmaking's a like crazy process orientated thing. So things have to be planned out, and a lot of times I was kind of, I guess, I was getting kind of sick of having to plan. Mm-hmm. Like with a print, it's like, okay, this is what it's going to look like. You have to make your plate. You have to make your screen. You have to go through all this, and this is what it's going to look like. And I was kind of getting a little bit bored of that. So I think when I started doing more like installation or larger scale things, and I was able to decide at that moment in time where each piece went according to the space it was being installed in, I think I really liked that idea of having to like instantly think and problem solve. Mm-hmm. So I was able to, I don't know, just take the the act of printmaking, which is can be something extremely thought out, and then contrasting it with, well, then I'm I have that intuitive nature, and I'm able to just like instantly think and do, which is really hard in printmaking. 
Well, and is that something too then where you're kind of like making a bunch of multiples and then, you know, being, being in a certain situation, a certain context, then where you're going to come up with an installation and then kind of adjust on the fly. Is that, is that kind of like what you're saying? After that one installation, we'll say, then I just was like, okay, I'm totally just going to go with this. I'm just going to start printing like multiples and multiples of the same thing Mm -hmm. and create like structure, like big structures on the wall and use like mixed media. And I really started getting into more sculptural and installation base um, forms of art, but still using printmaking as the main medium. And so I ended up starting to print and screen print, which is the amazing thing of printmaking. You're able to do this. I was screen printing thousands of the same image over and over again and manipulating the colors a little bit here and there. And then I would sit down and then I would cut them all out individually. And then I would, then I, at the, I can't believe I did this a couple of years ago. Then I would sit down and then I would number them all. Like I'd count them all out. So let's say I had like 1,500 of the same print. Mm-hmm. And so then I would number them all in an addition and then sign them all. So I got, I ended up getting really obsessive with my process of knowing like all the numbers mm-hmm. of all the work that I've done. And I think that process really drove me to expand my work. So it was a little bit of a competition with myself. I'm like, well, I could, if I stayed up like two more hours, I could print a hundred more, you know, butterflies or a hundred more roses. And I think that's how my work ended up expanding from, you know, the 12 dog heads to the 2000 of the bumblebees or the flowers um, was just that kind of like, well, the what if factor. Right. Well, and I'm curious then too. So, I mean, how did you start kind of incorporating, I guess, other objects, sculptures, and I don't know, found objects and things like that? Is that something that also kind of started finding their way into these installations, these settings or? Yeah. And I always, back then and, and still now today, like I would describe myself as like the, the least domestic female ever. I'm, I'm like a very busy person. I don't, I'm not someone who cooks and cleans and does all that. But at the time, I was really interested into more vintage imagery. Mm-hmm. And back to when I first started school and I was really interested in scene design. And then a couple of years later, I was like interested in doing installation and art. So I was kind of like, oh, well, what if I um, started creating these like fake scenes from households like kitchens and bedrooms and bathrooms and then using these installations within those spaces so uh, i had kind of we had an assignment once in my grad school and it was to make something that was installation based with your prints and i was like oh well i was like oh that'd be pretty easy to me i'm really into doing that kind of already but i was like oh i kind of want to like have like bringing bring in some mixed media to my work and i had really gotten into this idea of creating a kitchen. And so I had called my dad and I was like, okay, I'm looking for a stove. And my dad's like, what are you doing, Dana? Cause I have a really bad tendency of like collecting things and I'm just keeping them, which when you don't really have a whole lot of space is really hard. So we ended up finding a, a used stove in Litchfield at the Sears where you could like, if you buy a, appliance from them they'll take your old one for free and my dad went and got it and it was in a snowbank and it was super rusted out and he brought it to me he's like well here's a stove <laughs> he's like what are you gonna do with it and i think he was tr- kind of like 
pushing it in my face like he got this and then he was thinking I wasn't going to like use it or something and I ended up cleaning gutting out the whole thing uh I painted it orange and I hauled it up to MSU in my grad studio and I had come up with this concept of I'm really in, interested in the idea of puns and so using the word like what do we make in a stove like we make baked goods mm-hmm. And so I was like, oh, well, flower. So I had printed all these images of flowers, these roses that were hand-drawn. And I printed, I think, at least over 2,000 of those and then had cut them all out. And then I had kind of assembled from the inside of the stove, like this wire structure that came out and attached onto the walls. And then I applied each individual rose onto that structure that was inside the stove and then came out. So it was kind of like this big wave that came from inside to outside of the object and kind of had this play on words of what goes into this appliance and what is coming out of it within the work. So it became something that showed a lot of movement, but also had a lot of like whimsical feelings to it Mm -hmm. as well as activated a space. Cause at that time I was getting really bored with going into galleries and just having you know the work on the walls and it's like always the white walls and i'm just like oh man it's kind of like a buzzkill sometimes to me i would love to see i don't know things that are multicolored that are big taking up a space that you have to walk around so i knew that's something that attracted that that attracted me to things so then i knew that's the work that i wanted to start creating and and i'm curious too i mean is it is it something where you ever did anything that was kind of like site specific and in terms of you know trying to use a specific kind of space aside from just, you know, kind of like you're saying like a typical gallery space, but even just kind of like an alternative space or I don't know, a hallway, a stairwell and you know what I mean? Some, some kind of place that has history or anything like that. Is that something that I tried? And especially, um, since I graduated my master's, I really liked the idea and it's, you know, public art is becoming really popular nowadays too. Mm -hmm. So, I've tried to be in contact with people like, hey, would you be interested in doing having an installation or working with me? Or I've written an emerging artist grant, which I received. And I was trying to work with people to uh, kind of create works outside of the normal gallery spaces. Mm-hmm. And I think people are nervous for that. It's like, yeah, up at the university, you can put a piece of artwork in the hallway or you can put it somewhere else. And it's not going to necessarily be, you know, taken down or whatnot, but really when wanting to be an artist who's putting work out into a public space where people aren't necessarily wanting to see it, that's where it gets a little bit more difficult for people. Um, I did do a piece uh, last December, so almost a year ago, that was at the Verizon Wireless Center. So it's the big hockey arena in downtown Mankato. Mm-hmm. And they had a, an arts, like a holiday fair going on in a ballroom. And I was the emerging artist for that year. And they're like, okay, well, normally the emerging artist comes in and they're in the hallway and they show their work on like easels, things like that. Kind of just have work on display to kind of showcase them. And I was like, well, I don't really make that kind of artwork. I was like, I'd be willing to build something. And so they're like, oh, okay. And that made them really nervous. And we had to okay everything with the people who run the building and they're like, okay, well, yeah, you can do this, but you can't attach anything to the walls. 
And mm. I was like, okay, well, how the hell am I supposed to do <laughs> right. this installation piece? I can't attach wire or wood. Um, so they ended up having a big banister right above the wall or like higher up. And it was about 20 feet up. And they're like, oh, you can attach things from there. And I was like, all right. So I ended up problem solving my idea, which I, I'm, I don't know. I just love thinking on the fly like that mm-hmm. and having to suspend my work versus attaching it to the walls. And so I ended up having three days of installing in the space and people viewing it, which was really cool. Cause I think a lot of times people miss the process of an artist's work. And I think if they were able to view that more often, they would understand it and be not so like, especially with installation work, be against it being a click. It's even one of those things in a gallery too, where you can kind of completely miss, you know, what someone's after. Cause you're just, you're seeing it almost out of context without context, out yeah. that person. Yeah. So mm-hmm. yeah. And, and ever since the year ago when I, I did that installation, uh, which was a sewing theme, like a sewing room theme, mm-hmm. I just got really into the idea of like, okay, so how can we bring work out into public spaces and kind of forcing people to view it? Um, and that's kind of something I've struggled with within the past year because, like I said, we are in Mankato, Minnesota, so it is a little bit of a smaller town. Mm-hmm. So you can't, you know, there isn't a, a crazy amount of people and businesses that are going to let someone come in and put up a piece of artwork that involves their space, you know? So, but I'm hoping um, that that could change in in the future. And, you know, if we just grant artists with a little bit more opportunities, that more people will be aware that it's an important thing for to have viewable art around and not just in the galleries. When we were talking about your undergraduate before, you said you hadn't really been looking at a lot of artists at the time. Is this something where in graduate school and kind of exploring these installations for the first time that you started kind of looking at more artists and, and seeing that the way that they kind of were able to interact with audiences and, and kind of be in a space? I, I did start becoming more aware because I think I was had reached the point where I was creating a form of work that I was really invested in. Mm-hmm. And then also with my my installations, I was getting really into performance art as well. So having like a female figure within these domestic spaces. So I was really looking into like Cindy Sherman and people like that who were kind of playing dress up a little bit with their work and manipulating the way they looked to fit a space. So she was someone that I was really looking at at that time as well. And is that something that kind of like led you to kind of becoming, I don't know, like, like you kind of said, like more participatory, Mm -hmm. you know, you, you start kind of thinking of yourself as, you know, a performer within this context that you're, you're putting out there. I think so. I, I think that the reason why I got, again, then interested in adding performance to my installations is was, so I was creating these domestic spaces that, you know, I've used fridges, stoves, sinks, bunch of stuff where people can walk into the space and they can understand like, okay, this is a kitchen atmosphere, pretty obvious. And then, then I've kind of over the years created a character, a female character. Her name is Ginger Greenfield. And she's kind of got a backstory to her, but she's always in the spaces and she's always interacting not necessarily with the viewers, but with the space. And I think when you have that element of an actual human being within the work, I think people get really invested 
more into the piece because of that idea of something could happen. Right. You know, like it's not just going to sit still. It could move. It could change. It could talk. And so I, people had a tendency to kind of stick around more a little bit too and I think view the art longer because I think people can come into a gallery space and, you know, they walk around, they look at the work and then that it kind of ends and then they leave. And it's like really think about like how much are they really looking at the work and thinking about it and discussing it. Um, so, I, you know, I was kind of like, oh, I don't want someone to just like bypass my work. So having that element of risk a little bit of having a human being involved, I think made people do what I wanted them to do was just stand there and wait for a reaction, even if there wasn't going to be one. And is this something too, where kind of like the more that you would, I don't know, put yourself in these circumstances. I mean, is that something that helped kind of guide you kind of towards, um, I guess, different goals maybe in terms of like different installations? Cause I'm sure you, obviously you want, you know, certain reactions or certain interactions that are going to be interesting, but then at the same time, I'm sure, I don't know, maybe there's instances where something happens that you're not planning for that you don't like that maybe kind of like changes the direction. Yeah, I've had um, I've done performances with work where I've had like baked goods out. And one time I had someone like crack all these eggs over me that were sitting there or people think that they can touch you or they can talk to you, you know, just like really not necessarily inappropriate things, but stuff that just bugs the shit out of me sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you know what, if this, yeah, that's the positive and negative thing about performance work. It's people then feel they're entitled to touch the work. And I was, you know, you know, people wouldn't come into a space and there's a bunch of paintings on the wall. They're not going to touch the paintings, but I think I've, I've had to build kind of like a shell when I'm performing because people do want to force you as an artist and as a portion of the work to have a reaction to them. Mm -hmm. And so I've had to kind of build up my ideas of being a performer with my work, just with having to go through different performances and people wanting to, to push your buttons a little bit. We'll say there's like a weird relationship to like stand up comedy and hecklers and that, you know, in terms of like people want to be, kind of part of the show you know almost like they're kind of like being denied attention and and you know that's the way to get it did you have any you know positive experiences in terms of you know more discussion more interest more questions things like that when someone gives a performance like an actor on a stage there's always people that are like oh well they, they would have been better if they sang this or said this or move this way so definitely people have more just in my experience, they have a tendency to critique more. Mm-hmm. But the past couple performances I've done, I've been more still in my space and I'm almost kind of acting as a statue. Mm-hmm. So I've had to really train my body to stand there and sit there for two and a half hours without moving, which people don't understand. It is extremely difficult, especially when you have people um, touching you and wanting to talk to you. I don't know. It's almost like creating a, a life-size diorama. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, like completely. Little figures. And um, Murphy's normally there every time, too, but he's interactive with the people. Mm-hmm. It's almost, I don't want to say like a, like a life-size doll type thing. I think it kind of creeps people out a little bit, but I like that, 
too. So I don't know. People have different reactions. It makes me wonder, you know, as a, a viewer of something like a performance and installation piece, you know, like how to find a way in, you know, what, what is it about this piece? And, you know, maybe has a viewer thinking about something like their own identity, their upbringing. Was this something where people would also kind of talk about those things, talk about their experiences and try to relate them or? Yeah, I think a lot of people have nostalgic um, relationships with my work. Because first when it came to, especially dealing with Murphy and an image of a dog, and I also have a cat, Widget, who's not as popular, but he comes out in a lot of my work too. And I think there was such a great response to the image of the dog because everyone, down, and maybe not everyone, but majority of people have had some sort of a relationship with a pet. Somewhere like when they're a child or an adult, and then I think they see that image, and I think it kind of takes them back to certain feelings that they had mm-hmm. with their own animals. So I think that's kind of how it draws people in. And then when it came to my installation work with it being more household settings or more vintage, you know, everything from wallpaper to colors to images, I think then people could come in and then they could understand it and they could relate to it more. Like I've had people walk in and yeah, who are maybe a little bit older and they're like, Oh, well in my house, I used to have this up. And so it, it kind of strikes a little bit of memory in their mind a little bit that I think people can appreciate. So I think it, yeah, it deals with nostalgia and memory of like what people remember within their own lives. Interesting. And so I'm curious, you know, like, especially we've been talking a lot about your experience through school and and kind of starting to get into that kind of post school environment, you're applying for grants and things like that. So what did you wind up doing in terms of getting involved with the 410 project in Mankato? And I started volunteering at the 410 in 2012. I was just started by doing gallery hours. I wanted to be more involved with the more downtown scene, which a lot of times when at the universities, sometimes students lose that connection that they have to other arts going on outside of the university. Mm -hmm. So I just started volunteering. And then as the years went on, I just took on more responsibility. And then it just kind of came to the point with the director or the former director. She had just had kind of had her time and she's like, you know what? She was kind of losing her arts. Um, tie to things with the community and she's like i think it's kind of my time to to pass the reins which i think needs to happen a lot of times things need to be passed on to the people with the excitement and the passion to really push it forward and at that point in time that was me and i was like all right i'm scared shitless to do this (laughs) but i'll do it and at first my mom was like you're crazy for doing that and then now it's like i couldn't imagine if I hadn't taken on the 410, I don't even know where I would currently be right now. Like I always make a joke like, oh, if I if I never got Murphy, I don't know where I'd be. <laughs> so if I never got that dog, I would never have, you know, really, I don't think I would have become the artist that I am today. There's going to be some folks from Mankato listening to this, but then there's also going to be, you know, folks from all over the place. So, you know, could you just kind of maybe talk a little bit about, too, like what what goes on at uh, the 410 Project? Well, the 410, like I said um, earlier, is a volunteer-managed 
art gallery and experimental space. We we have rotating exhibitions, so every two and a half weeks we have a new show, and it's mainly by regional artists. Uh, we focus more on more emerging and experimental artwork, but we do have people from other states and other areas show work as well, so it's not just Mankato-based people. Uh, we also do a lot of programming. We have a lot of kids' classes and adult classes that we offer, as well as hosting different community events and just a lot of a lot of stuff going on. I'm definitely a director who people can come to, and I think people know this now, which might be a downfall. And they're like, "Hey, have you ever thought of holding like a poetry night, or have you ever thought about doing a frame building workshop?" And I'm always like, "Yeah, let's do it. Like, let's figure out a time and a date and who can lead it. And if I can't find someone to lead it, I just learn a, a crap load about it, and then I'll teach it." So it's like. I want to be able to have people come to me and be like, I want to learn more about this. How can we do that? Yeah. And it's, well, it's just interesting because it kind of almost, I don't know, almost seems like an extension then of just not, not necessarily just like in relationship to the installations that we were just talking about, but just that kind of level of, um, I don't know, community and interaction and, and kind of exploring a, a subject or, you know, some different kind of event that you want to do. So, yeah. Yeah, I would imagine that it kind of makes it, um, I don't know, very busy, but I, I would I would imagine very exciting as well, though. Yeah, I think the 410 is definitely, like, we are a smaller space, but for our size and with it being all volunteer-run, it's, I think we've done extreme strides through the past couple of years. And where I'm to the point, like, currently right now, it's like I work full-time and I'm going to school online and running the 410. It's it's hard for me to keep up on every single thing. So when I it it really makes me excited though when I'm getting emails from people and they're like, well, have you figured out like your current like the next month class list? We get you know a handful of exhibition proposals every month. So there's there's a, a demand created with us now. And as a director, that's what I want to see. I, I want we're like a little bit of the underdogs in Mankato. Mm-hmm. It's amazing to see now, like people really like wanting and needing us to kind of expand. And, and especially being an installation artist and someone who's working with uh, art form that isn't necessarily accepted by all spaces due to room or just like interest. It's I wanted to create a space where people could come to me and be like, I have these, you know, certain paintings that won't show somewhere else, or I want to paint the walls, or I want to hang things from the ceiling. We want to be a space that will take in that work. Because if I didn't have that when I was younger, and kind of learning what I wanted to do within the arts, if I didn't have a space to allow me to do that, I kind of would have been discouraged a little bit. So when I have younger artists coming to me, or not necessarily younger, but you know, more experimental artists and emerging artists coming to me saying like, Hey, I'm interested in like putting, and I usually say if it can be cleaned up in two days, I'll do it. (laughs) Um, It's like, Oh, I want to paint on the walls and I want to put all the stuff on the floor, blah, blah. It's like, I'm willing to discuss what we have for our options. I definitely don't want to turn anyone down. I don't know. We try to work with people as much as we can to allowing them to create the work that they want to create. I'm especially curious too, because we brought it up a, a couple of times, you know, just in terms of um, how, how people might react or kind of like participate. Is it something where kind of this 
focused uh, presence of kind of like making it this place that, you know, people can come and, and I don't know, maybe try out new installations or, mm-hmm. you know, plan these different events. Is it something, too, where that kind of like larger community starts to kind of participate and become interested in, you know, showing up? I think so. Before, like when the 410 started, it was mainly just MSU focused and then it's kind of gone through different transitions of just who's ever running it and what events you're holding. And then when I came down, you know, I had my MSU connection as well as I was really community driven because um, we have a lot of people that come into us and they need help with um, all different aspects of being an artist. And I think sometimes people forget that uh, to be a successful artist, you need to be able to write about your work, speak about your work, as well as displaying it. And creating it. So there's so many different factors that one needs to consider to be successful. And we want people to be able to come into us, people of all, you know, different stages within their careers, come to us and be like, I need help in writing. I need help in speaking in public, like those type of things. So we want to be a space that helps people as a whole, you know, and we have people that come into us and they take our classes and they create work that is then shown in the space. So we're, we kind of see a whole circle of creation and to displaying, to discussing. So that's kind of like our main thing that we focus on. But, you know, I was curious, too. Like, so, I mean, are there kind of specific, um, you know, events or uh, exhibitions, things that you are excited about, especially to kind of talk about that idea of, you know, having a really diversified space, you know, like you brought up a number of times again, it's not just a, a place where, you know, people come in and hang paintings and you look at them and then you leave. We, um, we have a bunch of like really exciting things. Normally, like I said, we have our program, we have our classes going on, and then we have maybe one or two extra events that go on. Like we've done fundraisers for other organizations. Last month we did a pet portrait day where people from the community could come in and for a donation, they could get a portrait of their pet, whatever pet that might be, um, get a, a drawing done by a local artist that volunteered their time, and they would leave with a, a, a pretty awesome portrait, if you ask me. Mm-hmm. And then all that money was given to the Brown County Humane Society, so we've done a lot of fundraising for other organizations. Uh, every year we do a annual bike art show which we team up with a nonprofit in town called Key City Bike, Mm -hmm. which um, gives bicycles and bicycle awareness to people in the community. So we team with them to do an exhibition that's all bike-related. We've done everything from different puppet-making events. We've done uh, October 11th was National Global Cardboard Day, so we made a giant cardboard tunnel in our back studio space that took up the whole thing and People came in throughout the day and they kind of drew within this tunnel and cave, kind of like cave paintings. And then they were kind of forced to be around people they didn't know and work next to people, which was really cool. And that's something that was open to children and adults. Um, so we do a lot of different a lot of different activities. Our main focus is that um, it caters to people of all ages and all different, I guess, abilities of people's art making because a lot of times people are like well i'm not an artist i can't come to that and it's like well this is just fun and um this isn't like i don't know it's we like to create events that are art based but they're really about bringing different types of people together for a better cause or just 
to have more art awareness and activities for people to do. Because sometimes if people don't have certain things to go to and connect with people at, um, if there's not those things, then those people have a tendency to not, I guess, come out and be as interactive as normal or as they should, I guess. Yeah, I, I think it's just really cool to be able to have that space and, you know, to have it for, you know, people to come participate in and, and check out. There's got to be a lot of events going on, you know, all the time, I would imagine. Yeah, last, like even last week, last Thursday, we gave um, an artist statement and grant writing workshop. And that was open to MSU students as well as community members. Um, so we had a good mix of both. I think the thing that's really interesting about it is, um, you know, again, it's it's not something that the, the main mission then is to just kind of, uh, you know, somehow make these art stars or discover these art stars and about this this market. It's about, you know kind of bring people together and, and kind of having that interaction and, you know, exploring the way that art can kind of affect anybody. So I think that's, you know, very cool. And I think art, I, I don't think people realize this, has an extreme, um, I guess, like positive influence on someone's self-esteem and the way they view themselves. And I think that really reflects in like the children that we have come in there. And that's like, been something I've really focused on. We have kids classes every other Saturday and we call them more sessions than classes because it's more of a time for the kids to come in and interact with each other and really kind of understand themselves as people. And we have kids that come in who aren't necessarily in school systems, they're homeschooled or they're not in any school system at all. And they come in, they don't really have social skills or they have more lower self-confidence or they don't really know how to communicate with people they don't know. And they come in, and I I didn't know this because I don't have any children, but kids have really bad anxiety, and it just and they're really stressed out, and that kind of blows my mind a little bit. Um, but they come in, and they're given an opportunity to just work on the same level as an adult and other kids, and they learn how to communicate and talk through uh, talk through things with using art. That's not in a situation that's you know at a school or at your house. Um, I don't know. They're they're able to act in more free nature, and it makes them feel comfortable. And then they get these positive reactions to the things they're making, and then they just have more confidence in themselves. And that that transitions into adults as well, um, with just feeling that they succeeded in something, even if it was just coming and participating, or they created the work that they wanted to, and then they showed it up front in a different show down the line, and. It's it's about building positive energy and positive relationships with the people around you because that's how we all kind of survive is is having support from each other. And speaking of support then too, so are are there other other individuals that are um contributors to to this uh this vision that you you've all kind of like built together or We have currently we have 9 volunteers all together. And those range from, and I would say nine as in like people who pretty steadily volunteer. And that ranges from people who do do gallery hours, people who do graphic design, um, to people who help install. So it's it's a pretty small group of people. Uh, They range from the age of 14 to 63. So we have a pretty wide base of people that help us. But these are people that have come to me and really shown interest in wanting to help us. So we kind of just figure out like what their skill sets are. And how they can contribute in the most positive way. So, you know, we do have people that help out. It's myself, 
uh, Taylor Johnson and Kurt Germanson. We are the main three people that kind of work most with the artists that come in, um, scheduling, uh, doing different events and just like the maintenance of things. Mm -hmm. But then we have those people who like, I'm not a computer person. So I need, I love graphic designers now. They're like my new best friend. So if you're a graphic designer and you want to help us out, contact me. But, you know, having someone that's like, hey, I'm willing to donate a couple hours of my time to put together like our brochures for our classes, flyers for events. Um, So we have to kind of have this group of eclectic people because we need those people to kind of put all the pieces of the puzzle together to really make us succeed and be still professional, but still... uh, fun and interactive, I guess. That sounds great. You know, it's again, something that you kind of brought up again, is just that, that sense of community. Um, so if, if anybody wants to find out more about the 410 project, uh, where do they go? They can find out more about us. They can find us on Facebook, the 410 project, or we do have a website, the 410 project.com, or they can email us through the website. If anyone has any questions, um, but we're pretty easy to find online. We have a pretty good uh, presence there. So even if you go on Google and type in 410 Project Mankato, we can pop up. Uh, you can pop up with several different ways to uh, get a hold of us for any questions or ideas you might have. Of course, if anybody is interested in your work, um, where, where can they find that? Uh, they can find more about me uh, at com. <laughs> As well as, you know, I've written several different blogs. I've been part of several different lectures and magazines. Like I said, I've been involved in numerous different things and exhibitions. So, again, if you're interested in learning more about me, you can type my name into Google search. It's the best thing in the world. And you'll be you'll be like, holy crap, there's a lot of things on here. Because <laughs> um, just dealing with running an organization as well as being an artist and um, kind of that whole roundness about me we'll say uh there's a lot of different stuff out there about me so i would really encourage people to check it all out if there's one thing that's really fun again that we kind of talked about earlier is that kind of uh that way that you can kind of um bridge geographic uh challenges you know that you can kind of be connected with people in you know mankato or Mm -hmm. you know wheaton illinois so again thanks so much for uh taking the time and um you know it's a pleasure having you on to talk about your work and of course uh the 410 so awesome thank you so much thanks once again to dana for joining us and please say hello to dana again you can find her website right there in that hyperlink danasicola.com and you can also check out the 410 project and say hello so please go ahead and do that again they have exhibition proposals they have all sorts of events going on and if you want to help out just let your email do the talking And since you're likely on the computer right now, please go ahead and check out my website, davidlinaway.com. See some of my recent work. And, of course, say hello if you'd like. Since you are now a new listener, hopefully a studio break, you can check out all the archive episodes. Again, we've had a lot of different artists from around the U.S. as well as around the world. So please go ahead and peruse. Again, each of those posts have images of the artist's work, links to their website, so you can ask them all sorts of questions, and please do that. And you can also listen to all of the interviews right there on Studio Break, or you can go to iTunes and subscribe to the podcast. We love it when folks do that. And of course, if you like it, please help 
us get the word out by leaving some comments, some feedback, and of course, sharing it in your social media sphere. Again, we are on Facebook, so please like the page there. Again, we sometimes share announcements, opportunities, as well as these interviews, so please like our page. You can also follow us on Twitter, and please tweet us. Again, we love hearing from artists especially, so please tweet us at Studio Break, and of course, follow our Tumblr account that's studio-break.tumblr and of course help spread the word if you like if you show announcements brian frank's memory of water opens saturday december 6th at 7 p.m at the carnegie art center in mankato minnesota so please go ahead and check that out again brian has been on the podcast a number of times and will be coming up to talk about this and he is also the leader of raka so we're excited about that we're also excited to announce that Skylar Mail has an exhibition opening Saturday, November 22nd. It's called Permanent Vacation. It's a group show with a slew of other artists at Hooper Projects in L.A., so please go ahead and check that out. Skylar provides the music for Studio Break and is a painter, an installation artist, and all sorts of other things, so please go check out his website, SkylarMail.com. And that wraps our podcast for today. Thanks again for listening. We'll talk to you real soon.